Welcome to the Naturally Nourished Podcast that delivers cutting-edge food as medicine solutions for optimal health. Allie Miller is a nutrition expert sought up by the media and America's top medical institutes for her revolutionary functional medicine interventions. From disease treatment to prevention, every episode will empower you with ways to put yourself back in control of your health. Please note, the topics discussed are for educational purposes only. Now welcome, Integrative Dietitians Allie Miller and her co-host Becky Yu. Welcome to episode 180 of the Naturally Nourished podcast. Today we are interrupting once again our scheduled content to bring you information on the evolution of the pandemic of the coronavirus and new research findings as this continues to evolve, as well as more importantly, we really want to hone in on the value of maintaining your mellow during this time, and we'll be covering today the stress and immune connection. Yes, there has been so much going on only one week away from last week's episode that we had to prioritize squeezing in today's episode. I will be covering a lot of the information that I've been trying to um, provide you guys information on over my Instagram you know, stories and IGTV. Definitely in today's episode, I'm going to cover updates on elderberry and the influence of the cytokine storm. I'm also going to be sharing the information and findings on how the virus COVID-19 is carried into the body, information on that angiotensin II receptor function, what that means for us in the medical field, and how you can use this information to really best arm your body with natural ACE2 inhibitor compounds or molecules that could bind that receptor site. Uh, Nerdy stuff, I know. But then like Becky said, we're going to close with really the importance of stress and the influence of the sympathetic nervous system response on hindering the immune system, the multiple mechanisms of how chronic stress and anxiety can really impair your ability to fight and surveillance against viral and any form of pathogen. I've been talking a lot this week about how it's all about the terrain, right? So we kind of covered that last week in episode 179, that the pathogen, be it virus, be it bacteria, uh, be it yeast, all of these compounds are going to mutate. They always change and they are commonly dynamic. So our approach should really be more foundational to support both the innate and acquired immune system. And uh, we'll give you a little, a little review of what we covered in last week for sure. <laughs> Totally. And and today's topic is obviously very relevant with what's going on with the spread of coronavirus and still a lot of fear and misinformation out there. Um, But it's also one that often plays the primary driver of dysfunction in our patients' bodies, you know, at all times, which is stress and, and the influence of stress when in excess or unmanaged or imbalanced can really drive, you know, beyond immune dysfunction, inflammation, and even impact our metabolism as well. Absolutely. You know, we've covered in past episodes, uh, the influence of the chronic stress response really being a hindrance to our primary metabolic function, because, you know, when the body's in this fight or flight response, the last thing it's worried about doing is losing weight. So this is an important message to share now as well, because although the acute focus right now is on, you know, this virus spreading, 
just like with uh, you know hurricane season and Harvey, like we saw in Houston, um, you know we called it the Harvey 15 because that cortisol stress response and the influence on the thyroid and the adrenals and this PTSD influence of, of trauma essentially really puts the brakes on our metabolism and can really create havoc in our um, whole body health. So we'll, we'll want to make sure that we keep you guys armed for that. Totally. I can picture there being a coronavirus 15 because not only is this an incredibly stressful time, but people are also opting to stay home or have to stay home and and are on self-quarantine and probably eating through their snacks and provisions because they're bored and all the things. (laughs) Yeah. I think it's the combination, right? Both stress eating and bored eating, less movement. Yep. All of the things. So yes, yes, today I will update everyone on the findings on those who are at risk. Uh, we will discuss, you know, up-to-date mortality rates as of this morning. Uh, we will continue to provide you findings on how you can best support your body. But I do want to kick off our episode with our sponsor, Wild Foods. Uh, Wild Foods, excuse me. They have awesome food as medicine support to aid in your body's terrain or its foundational immune function. So Wild Foods is a company that puts quality, sustainability, and health first in all of their products. They have everything from coffee to turmeric to medicinal mushrooms, and everything that they select is painstakingly sourced from small farms around the globe. They take their mission very seriously to fix the broken food system, important at at this time, I'd say, (laughs) if ever, Mm -hmm. and they believe that real food is medicine. Uh, They've partnered with us to provide you guys an awesome exclusive discount Account. If you use the code Allie Miller RD at checkout at wildfoods.co, that's .co, not .com, you will get 12% off your order. And I want to highlight just those immune-specific products that they have for y'all. The influence on tea and polyphenols is really favorable in research. We're seeing that polyphenols actually have the ability to inhibit viruses' ability to replicate. That means that if virus does get into your system, its ability to regenerate or really expand or multiply in your body will be lessened. And we've also seen influence on interferon, which plays more of a role in your body's, again, acquired immune system. Um, Individuals that have about five cups of tea a day by literally Literature from uh, Harvard University have been shown to increase their interferon by 10 times as opposed to those that did not drink tea. And that was a study on black tea. I will say my favorite from Wild Foods is their Twilight Black Number no. 9. It is incredibly smooth, like velvety smooth. And research also supports that the compounds in black tea, specifically the theaflavins and the thea rubigins are loaded with other health benefits um, that create antioxidant capacity increase um, and have really favorable influence on cognitive function as well. So you get that immune surveillance function and a boost for your brain. You could also select wild matcha. Um, Matcha is going to have, you know, it's the ground green tea leaf. So it's going to have, uh, you know, equivalent to 10 glasses of regular brewed green tea in just a teaspoon. So that'd be a great way to get that mega dose to support your immune system and get that kick of polyphenols. And then the last thing I want to mention from Wild Foods, because they have so many awesome products, but specific for the immune would be their adaptogenic mushrooms. Uh, They have mushroom blends by number. So they have wild shroom number five, which is cordyceps, or number one, which is reishi, 
both have really powerful research that we see on antiviral immune modulating benefits, anti-inflammatory effects. And they've put together an amazing blend, which is a nootropic or a compound that enhances cognitive function and brain health called Cocotropic. It's a wild superfood elixir. It incorporates wild cacao or raw cacao powder, reishi, chaga mushroom extract, raw maca powder, and wild turmeric. So that would really aid in reducing inflammation, aiding in supporting that HPA stress axis, and support immune function. Go on over to wildfoods.co, put in the code AllieMillerRD at checkout, check out all of their fun food as medicine products that you can keep in your pantry and you will get 12% off your order when you use AllieMillerRD. Yes. And you get to skip the craziness at the grocery store and support a small business, which now is more important than ever for sure. Absolutely. Okay, so before we get into new findings and updates on COVID-19, let's just recap for listeners what was covered last week in episode 179. And for those of you wanting to dig in on this topic, I highly recommend going back and listening to that episode as well. Yes. I mean, I think a lot of people's questions are addressed in that episode. So, you know, definitely check it out. We talked about really a review of what the immune system is. Uh, I defined for you the difference of the innate versus acquired or more learned immune system. We discussed the mechanism in which vaccines work. And we also shared a study on the influenza vaccine and the prior coronavirus, which was the strain two um, that we saw actually increased potential risk factor. Um, We talked about how the immune system gets compromised. Uh, We provided recipes for immune support, including the master tonic, 40 clove of garlic soup, bone broth, the zippy toddy, which is a great expectorant beverage, and the importance of whey protein with the immunoglobulins. What are some other things we covered, Becky? Um, let's see. We also talked about vitamin C and its role. We covered a lot of supplemental support and I think we'll dig in a little bit more today and and kind of update based on new findings, our supplement coronavirus supplement kit. Um, we talked a lot about probiotics and cultured foods to incorporate how you can use food-based compounds as expectorants for mucus or phlegm. Um, We talked about phytocompounds and their importance during this time. Anything else I'm missing? I think that's the majority. Uh, Yep. So a lot of, uh, and then we we did provide a Corona um, support kit of supplements, but I will reiterate that in today's uh, notes and also, you know, some of the emphasis from the new findings on how the virus is getting into our body, the function of that receptor. And, uh, and also, like I said, earlier, we'll talk the only misinformation, well, it wasn't misinformation, but the only information that I'm updating and changing my advice on would be that with the use of elderberry. So we'll clarify that too in a moment. Totally. Um, So yeah, let's start with what's been going on since we last recorded. So we've seen for sure some mass chaos in the grocery stores. I was just there this morning and a lot of shelves were cleared out, but it wasn't too, too crazy. Um, A lot of canceled events though. um, I think We recorded prior to the announcement of the Houston Rodeo being canceled, school closures. So we're seeing, you know, as we acknowledge, this will be a a big spread, but 
As discussed on the last episode, some people who get it will be asymptomatic and those that get symptoms, you know, will likely recover with the same support that they would for cold and flu, such as rest, nourishment, and, you know, best if they can support their system with supplemental support to make system uh, symptoms less severe and, and shortened. Um, and there's a lot of talk right now too about you know, social distancing and staying at home. And a lot of employers are, are keeping people at home or, or giving them the option to work from home. But let's just start with um, what are the symptoms of COVID-19 as this is, has evolved and how do we distinguish it from, you know, influenza or the common cold? Yes. So the primary symptoms that we're looking at that are overlap, I'll start there and then I'll try to distinguish. Um, So fever. Fever is a common symptom of COVID-19. That's also a common symptom of influenza and can be seen with like a cold or an upper respiratory infection. Uh, fatigue is one that we can see across the board. Um, and that's also seen I, really anytime the body's battling anything, you're going mm-hmm. to see the level of fatigue. Sure. Uh, dry cough is more common. This is a more respiratory um, virus. So we are seeing dry cough and cough in general to be greater expressed. Now, this is what can get a little bit as a compounded confusing variable with allergies and hay fever, um, but some forms of influenza do incorporate cough as well. Uh, Difficulty breathing and really the acute respiratory failure or respiratory disorders, this is what's making the hospital system concerned greatly, I would say, um, because this can get severe with COVID-19, and that's one that we really don't see with influenza or a cold and even an upper respiratory infection, Um, but we may see with like an acute allergy mast cell reaction, um, but but really that tends to be kind of a, something that would distinguish COVID, the difficulty breathing. Uh, and, and to be clear, difficulty breathing is generally seen in individuals that have this unregulated immune system and also likely a comorbidity on their vascular system as well as likely some form of lung failure um, or respiratory failure or reduced respiratory function. Uh, We see aches and pains kind of across the board, but maybe even less likely than COVID-19, they're saying, than the typical influenza. Um, We're not seeing a lot of like sneezing. There could be runny nose, but but that's something that would set apart, whereas influenza is going to be a lot more sneezing, runny nose, stuffy nose. Um, We are discussing still that same connection of dry nasal passages being higher risk factor for, you know, contact and having that viral spread. So still same recommendation like I made in last episode of using some form of like a saline solution, even better if you wanted to do one that incorporated potentially colloidal silver or like xylitol grapefruit. I've been using the X-Clear. So keeping the nasal passages uh, moisturized uh, is important, but we're not seeing a lot of that nasal congestion in COVID-19 like we would with a cold or like we would with potentially other forms of influenza. And then we are um, sometimes seeing a sore throat and um, very rarely seeing uh, gastric stress um, or diarrhea as a consideration. 
Okay. So definitely a lot of overlap, but also some defining factors. So if you hear someone sneeze at the grocery store, you don't need to like isolate them and excommunicate them and be a jerk about it. Um, (laughs) I definitely heard a lot of that as I was traveling um, this weekend, like whispers about someone sneezing or coughing. And it's like, let's just be kind to each other and be humans. Um, But um, lots of overlap. And I, I think, you know, what's been a big frustration to us as practitioners and wellness advocates is that there's just so much fear mongering and and discussion of social isolation and hand washing and hygiene, but just not enough information about how your body actually deals with a virus and how you can support the process. Yes. I mean, I still am dying when I'm seeing all of the over sterility and that's so concerning. Mm -hmm. I don't really see a lot of advocacy. There is discussion on, yes, if you're using, you know, hand washing with soap and water is the first priority. Secondary is to use, um, you know, some hand sanitizer and it does need to have alcohol as at least 70% to be efficacious, X, Y, Z. But we're not talking about uh, don't bleach every uh-huh. <laughs> hours in your home. Um, you know, we're not talking about sterilizing the microbiome. We're not even discussing the word microbiome and as if that's important. And we're just so concerned about the quantitative data, unfortunately, the numbers, the testing, the numbers, the testing, that's all we're hearing after report after report that I'm concerned that this continues to drive panic and freak people out. And that really only segregates, um, you know, creates less connection and community. Um, like you said, there, there is the recommendations for, um, you know, creating that social space, which is reasonable, but we have to be mindful that we're also now creating this panic of people coming to the hospital that don't need to. Mm -hmm, The concern, the biggest concern in our country is that we don't have enough hospital beds. Um, And if this is, it's looking that it affects two to three, you know, reach of two to three people of infection per person infected. And it is said to have, you know, 10 time risk of, of mortality as opposed to some of the other viruses that we've seen over the last couple decades. Um, But we have to put it into the context that, you know, last year, the CDC estimated that influenza was associated with more than 35.5 million illnesses, more than 16.5 million medical visits, um, just shy of 500,000 hospitalizations, and 34,000 deaths, 34,200 technically, <laughs> deaths in last year's influenza season. And, you know, so, so here we are counting in the double digits and discussing every new report, breaking, breaking, breaking. And that just didn't happen last year. And I'm not saying that COVID-19 is the same as influenza. I'm just saying that there are all, that the influenza is a pandemic as well. We're just, we just never discussed it in this context. That's exactly been my, my argument. I'm like, why is the flu not a pandemic if this has been elevated to this level and, and, you know. Again, I think a lot of it is the not knowing and the media is kind of running with it to this point and and there's not much we can do to stop that machine other than inform ourselves and prepare our households. Right. And again, just to say out loud, so 34,200 deaths last year in the United States from the flu. And when we're talking about COVID-19, even with the updates this morning, you know, we're looking at 5,800 deaths globally. That's not in the U.S. That's globally. Sure. Um, and so, you know, COVID-19 has reached 49 states as of now. 
restaurants and schools are closing. The idea is to try to stop the spread, you know, so by reducing that social contact that, you know, we can kind of quarantine ourselves and those of us that have been infected will kind of process and then we'll wait out the carry of contact. Um, but again, the concern is that I think we're creating so much fear that everyone's worried if they have it. And we're talking about testing so much in these quantitative values versus again, making our immune systems robust, supporting our antiviral uh, function in the body and helping our people that are at high risk to be more resilient. You know, why aren't we preemptively providing the elderly at government grant vitamin D and vitamin C and probiotic supplementation? That to me makes more clinical sense. So let's talk about updates on what we now know about the virus. Let's hit on the new connections of how COVID-19 actually gets into the body and the ACE2 inhibitor influence. Yes. So we know that the coronavirus depends on binding its viral spike protein, basically, to uh, cell receptors of ACE2 or angiotensin converting enzyme 2 in the respiratory tract, and that these bind in the lower respiratory tract. And this is where we can see concerns with respiratory failure or organ failure with liver and kidneys, um, you know, risks for low oxygen. And that's the big thing. Like I said, that's what we're looking at as a concern in the hospital system. Yep. Yep. Not having enough beds with ventilators in the ICUs. Yes. And there's been interesting with the finding of this entrance on the ACE2 pathway, um, there's been interesting studies. Now, there was one that was not peer-reviewed. I will share that very clearly. Um, I will link the research study, but it started looking at uh, molecular mimicry or what compounds could dock to the ACE2 enzyme, um, basically blocking the ability or like locking those. If you think of these, these um uh, ability of the virus to get in, it's using like a lock and key mechanism, right? So in theory, if we can find compounds that molecularly can dock to those ACE2 spaces, um, that that would really support less ability to um, conduct the virus and less ability for the virus to really get into the host. So we're looking at the angiotensin converting enzyme two, and what we're seeing is that there are a lot of traditional Chinese herbs, there are a lot of natural botanical compounds that have independent research on their antiviral activity, but then also we've seen in this study that I'll link again, um, that there are actual molecular mimicry in the sense that it could dock to the ACE2 enzyme and reduce the susceptibility. Got it. So kind of blocking the virus from getting in in the first place. Yep. That's an easiest way of saying it. Absolutely. Okay. So it, it called out um, five different compounds, um, two compounds that are from Skullcap, um, Bacillin, Bacillin, uh, Tellurian, I don't know how to say these ones, I'm sorry. Um, Hesperitin, which is from vitamin C bioflavonoids. Um, nicotinamide, which is from uh, B3. And then also um, glycerzer, I can never say that, glycerin. Because it's glyceryzin? not glyceryzin. Glyceryzin, I think, maybe. Glyceryzin, which is the compound in licorice root. Mm -hmm. um, and so the study actually went through all of the molecular structures, and um, I will link the various research in here. But the two compounds in Skullcap, both the 
Bacillin and the scutellarian <laughs> have been shown to increase antioxidant capacity, have been shown to be anti-inflammatory, um, have been shown in clinical research to be anti-apoptosis, um, so reducing cellular turnover if there were otherwise healthy cells. Um, and then we do see the use of Skullcap in various research studies for this antiviral effects in SARS coronavirus, which was you know the, the one that we saw about 10 years ago. Um, we also saw a study that looked at um, the influence on the activity of the angiotensin converting enzyme in brain tissue. Um, and that was specific to the scutellarian compound from Skullcap. Um, and there's another research study um, entitled Neuroprotective Effect of Scutellarian on Ischemic Cerebral injury by downregulating the expression of angiotensin converting enzyme. So, we actually are seeing again less of this receptor function with the compound of Skullcap. Now, I hadn't talked to you guys about Skullcap in um, episode 179, so this is somewhat a new finding. Um, but Skullcap has been used as you know, a native root in China and some parts of Russia for thousands of years to treat infection, um, have anti-inflammatory effects, um, anything from allergies to headaches, and it also has antifungal and antiviral effects. Um, I will link a lot of the research on this compound, but when I was kind of digging in, I had an aha moment. Um, we had discussed for y'all the benefits of berberine boost in episode 179, because berberine itself um, in our product comes from Oregon grape root. There's also coptis in there, which is golden thread. And then there is a blend of TCM herbs, which incorporates the skull cap, as well as this licorice root, um, which has its own unique properties. We've seen that licorice has been shown um, effective in treating chronic hepatitis. It's you know relatively non-toxic. We've seen in studies that it actually also has anti-SARS-CoV effects, again, that was used successfully about 10 years ago, and that it inhibits the viral absorption and penetration of SARS and CoV. So this was the one that we really are seeing talked about most readily in more of the alternative health world is the um, active compound in licorice. Now I will say we have that also in the berberine boost. So that does have a little bit of that TCM blend with the antiviral, which now would make me say that that's a probably good, powerful player to have on hand. And then another component in our line does have licorice, but it's deglycerized, which would lose this, mm -hmm. this active compound. And that's the GI lining support. So GI lining support still supportive for leaky gut, still a great tool, but you're not going to get that benefit of the licorice and it's deglycerized because this licorice compound can influence blood pressure. And duh, that's the connection of the ACE, <laughs> the angiotensin converting enzyme and why blood pressure medications, you know, work on that similar pathway. Okay. Got it. So to apply all of that amazing research, um, berberine boost and, and potentially even sleep support would be our best bets. Yeah. I don't know if I mentioned that sleep support has skull cap in it mm -hmm. as well as melatonin and then other nervines. Um, nervines again, are herbs that help to calm your nervous system. This would be a great powerful tool as we transition later in today's, uh, conversation about the stress connection. Totally. And we'll get to the importance of sleep for your immune system as well in a bit here. Yes. And then I just want to shout out real quick before we move on um, the hesperitin. Um, we have seen hesperitin dose dependently can inhibit the activity of the proteases or you know the protein compounds of the SARS coronavirus. 
um, and this has been looked in cell-based um, as assays. And um, we see that, uh, you know, we've talked a lot about the BioC Plus in the last episode. I've been talking about that a lot. We're seeing now actively intravenous vitamin C being employed in China um, against COVID-19. Um, we see vitamin C deficiency associated with the elderly population, which could be another kind of trend of why potentially their body isn't able to fight against the virus. Um, but we're looking at really in, in China, you know, there they have multiple trials going on, um, but use of anywhere between 12 thousand to 24,000 milligrams a day of vitamin C delivered by IV. Um, and uh, we're starting to watch how that influences mortality, so actual death rate, um, as well as length of influence of virus and symptom severity, which is absolutely important, important as well. Okay, so definitely reemphasizing vitamin C use in this case. And then let's talk a little bit about vitamin D and you know, knowing what we know about vitamin D and its antiviral properties, how this could apply. Yeah, and I'm sorry, before we go into vitamin D, I want to call sure. out, you know, we talked about in last episode that the biggest limitation to vitamin C dosage to be effective is bowel tolerance. And you know, the truth is many people can't tolerate over 2,000 to 3,000 uh, milligrams without having a looser, softer stool. Um, you know, so I've been personally doing uh, each BioC Plus is 600 milligrams. So I've been doing about three to four a day on average. So I'm getting about 1,800 um, upwards of uh, 2,400 milligrams. And um, what I would call out is, yes, if we're looking to kind of mega dose vitamin C, we're looking to use IV. That's really the mm -hmm. only way to get these levels of dosages. Sure. Um, and, uh, you know, so if you do have to travel for work, that might be a consideration or liposomal vitamin C would be a consideration because you likely can get larger doses into your cells. But with that being said, if you're doing IV or you're doing liposomal vitamin C, you would be missing out on the um, hesperitin, which is the bioflavonoid compound, which we do get in the BioC+. So I just want to kind of call it, there is that unique attribute to BioC plus that would be superior over just doing like a seed, you know, just doing an ascorbic acid um, or just a vitamin C supplement at a comparable milligram. Totally. And for, you know, practical use. And even when you are traveling, like I just traveled this weekend and I took two every few hours, like on our flight and, and the airport day. Um, so breaking it up and um, doing it around your meals and, and just kind of watching for the loose stools, you can probably, you know, get up to six to even eight of those capsules if needed. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you get that synergy effect beyond the bioflavonoids. We're also looking at quercetin and routine, which are going to reduce um, inflammation in the body, reduce histamine effect. So definitely a good one during this time of the season, regardless. Okay. Now vitamin D. Yes. <laughs> so, you know, the big thing we have to call out with all of this. So like, you know, is Ali Miller saying that berberine boost will, you know, prevent coronavirus? No, you know, we don't have any randomized clinical trials on what works for COVID-19. Right, exactly. What we have is clinical research on how these compounds work to influence immune system function, to um, impact viral 
influence in the body and um, you know how deficiency trends have been seen with you know the pandemic spread and also the risk factors that we see with mortality um, so what's interesting is a lot of people in the news are talking about that potentially there's going to be some seasonal stimulus of, of, you know, as we get into the summer, heat mm -hmm. and humidity may play a big role with eradication of COVID-19. But what they're not mentioning is that potentially that has to do with vitamin D in the sun. Totally. Um, yeah. and, and, and we see this every flu season, right? You know, that's why things kind of go down as people get outside. We need UV light to aid with production of vitamin D, right? Um, you know, we've talked about how vitamin D plays a role as a pro-hormone. It has a possible role in directly in infection. Um, it has an ability to suppress anti and, and and suppress inflammatory overload as well as have an anti-inflammatory process so that's a very important point to make it's not unimodal um, vitamin d can actually both suppress and upregulate our body's inflammatory pathways it's a smart hormone compound basically in the body that modulates the immune system so it's not a one directional function um, you know, the most compelling thing that we have seen in research, one study was put out by Queen Mary University of London that found daily or weekly supplementation had greatest benefit for individuals cutting their risk of respiratory infection in half. Um, and this was put out by the British National Institute of Health Research. Um, and that's quite substantial. Um, we've also seen in research that vitamin D could reduce the replication in the number of viral um, bodies that get into your system. And then, you know, again, replication, meaning how many are able to um, be made within your body as the host. Um, so there's a lot of direct modalities and influences of how vitamin D can actually fight. Um, it's directly antiviral and it's reduction in the virus once and if it does get in, in it, um, you know, manufacturing itself within your body. Totally. And, and definitely a lot of potential with the mechanism of this specific virus. It's just like you said, there's not the research there yet. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's the connection in research on how, again, coronavirus attaches to cells via the ACE2 and vitamin D can play a role also with that receptor function. Um, like I said, you know, the big thing I would say that I'd really harp on with the vitamin D is the influence on our respiratory function and the fact that vitamin D not only can be antiviral and not only anti-inflammatory and pro-inflammatory when it needs to be, but that it also supports respiratory function, which I think is really important to note. Totally. And that it's been seen in studies to inhibit, you know, other types of virus that we're more perhaps familiar with, like herpes, Epstein-Barr, hepatitis, even Ebola and things like that. Yes. And I swear my eyes saw it. I was talking about this yesterday. I did a, a Instagram live with Sean Wells and I swore I found, I could not find it in today's episode. And I think that the internet's being combed with potentially some agenda. Oh, it totally is. Because I swear <laughs> I saw with my eye, just like you mentioned, some of the research that's being done in China right now with IV infusion of uh, vitamin C. I swore I saw with my eyes really mega dose of vitamin D as an intramuscular push at somewhere in the likings of like 200,000 IUs. Um, I could not find it. And I specifically found it in China in relationship to COVID-19 as a treatment um, mechanism on trial. And I could not find that. So I, I can't speak to that. Um, but what I will say, the research study that I mentioned that did come out um, 
from the British National Institute of Health did find um, they did segregate between the orthomolecular mega doses and daily dosage, and they found that individuals that daily dose had greater efficacy. So another good reminder that vitamin D should be your friend through the season ongoing. Totally. Okay. And so in our last episode, we covered a lot of um, risk factors and statistics, which there've been some increases in, in that death toll, but the population and relative risk is still just about where we had discussed. Um, let's just take some more time to talk about why the at-risk population is getting impacted and new findings on COVID-19. Yeah. So we're still looking at elderly. And in fact, once you get to age 80 and up, the risk factor is significantly increasing. So when we think of the elderly, the first thing I think is that they are less mobile, um, you know, so they're not moving their body as much. They are experiencing sarcopenia or muscle wasting. And we know that there's such a connection of muscle mass, muscle density, active muscle tissue, and immunological function. So that's a big mechanism right there based on structural health, right? Um, We know that the elderly with being less mobile likely are indoors more. So they're not getting exposure of that UV light to make the vitamin D. Um, There's a higher risk factor of deficiency of nutrients overall in the elderly. So we're looking at, you know, like beyond the vitamin D, also lower vitamin C. We're looking at lower zinc. Um, And that takes us to the next concept of iatrogenic influence. The elderly population in the United States, at least, I can't speak to China, I'm not as well versed, but I know in the United States that the elderly population is on a lot of pharmacological agents. And a lot of these medications are going to interfere with immunological processes. So when we're talking about minerals like zinc, that's where we would see the influence of PPIs. So you know whether it's Nexium or Protonics, these proton pump inhibitors block the stomach acidity required to aid in protein, you know, protein digestion, which is which can further contribute to that muscle wasting, right? Um, or less intake of protein because it drives indigestion. Um, so then we're dealing with higher refined carbs in the diet, and then elevated blood sugar levels which interfere with immunological process. Uh, we see when stomach acid is not optimized that those individuals tend to run lower in B vitamins. They tend to run lower in minerals, so that incorporates zinc there. Um, you know, we start to see a lot of the nutrient deficiencies when we're interfering with optimal digestive function. That takes us to NSAIDs in the elderly population. NSAIDs on a you know daily basis interfere with how your body regulates inflammation. They also drive damage to the gut lining and can increase risk for gastric ulcerations and bleeds. This can interfere with the ability to absorb nutrients. Then there's corticosteroids, which kind of connect us into our stress story, but corticosteroids, which are used in many people as a pain managing tool or an immune managing tool, if the individual has rheumatoid arthritis or some form of an autoimmune condition, um, and the elderly especially, these greatly suppress the immune function. Um, you know, downregulate the ability of immune cell production in many ways. And then statins. I don't think that this is at all being discussed, but, um, you know, when we look at the influence of LDL as a 
influencing factor of macrophage activity, which plays a role with that innate immune function, as total LDL levels go down, remember, all-cause mortality goes up. So when we're really reducing our cholesterol levels, that in a sense can really interfere with immunological process. Okay. And then um, for lifestyle support in terms of um, what we can do about all of these factors, it's basically employing the opposite of those concerns, right? Absolutely. So, I mean, aside from don't get old because you can't help that, can't stop time, uh, all of the other things could be addressed, right? So supplementing with those nutrients that we see deficiency of, um, you know, ensuring that you maintain as best you can lean body mass um, and mobility, movement, um, you know, eating a lower carbohydrate diet to manage that elevated blood sugar level. Uh, getting out in the sun, right? All of these things would reduce risk factor. It's just very frustrating because, you know, New York Times came out and said, you know, elderly is higher at risk and we don't know why. It's like, what? I just named six reasons. <laughs> I think very clearly could be tied to why these people are at higher risk of death from this virus. Oh, totally. I mean, <laughs> that's just silly. Oh my gosh. Um, and then let's let's discuss um, this cytokine storm, what that is, and um, updates on the recommendation of use of elderberry and whether there are any other herbs that maybe influence as well. Yeah. So specific to elderberry, you know, as I mentioned last week, it has antiviral properties. It has been shown to be very effective in various strains of influenza. Um, in fact, it was shown against 10 different strains in a double-blind placebo-controlled randomized study to reduce the duration of flu symptoms significantly. But there's two mechanisms of elderberry. One is its antiviral influence and um, the polyphenols themselves that likely reduce that virus's ability to replicate. Um, but the other mechanism of action of elderberry is its ability to increase cytokines. And so cytokines are inflammatory mediators or basically inflammatory chemicals that your immune system releases in a battle environment. The concern with COVID-19 is what makes COVID-19 unique is that it upregulates or utilizes what we're calling a cytokine storm. Um, and this is a big driver that can potentially put us at risk into acute respiratory infection or um, ARDS. And so when we're looking at a cytokine storm, this can be seen with like mast cell disorders as well in those individuals. Um, this is an excessive immune response where basically the healthy lung tissue gets distressed and we can see risk of multi-organ failure with the own immune system going into an upregulated attack mode. Um, so because of this cytokine connection, I'm no longer recommending pulsing up elderberry at sign of viral activity. And the fact that it's difficult to tell the difference of the flu and COVID-19 right now, I'm saying that keep your elderberry use minimal. I don't think that it's a one plus two equals three direct risk factor, but I would not very clearly recommend, as I've said in past episodes, 
if you have immune distress to increase, you know, do a teaspoon a couple times a day, I would not recommend that. And in fact, I'm just being a little bit more precautious in my home and um, taking the precaution to not use that on a daily basis, which I don't recommend anyway. I've always said it should be an acute respondent, you know, to viral influence in the body, but I'm really not using it as a tool this season any longer for that reason. Totally. I, I used it before my travel and then uh, started to see some stuff come out. And it was like, I'm not worried that a small dose is going to have any negative effect on me. Or if you were doing it in like a recipe, like the elderberry gummies that we had posted, you're fine. Don't stress if you've used it already. It's exactly. just that there's probably better tools uh, that you could be using. And it would be an acute reaction. So it's not something that's building in your body. Don't worry about that. Yeah. But yes, at this time, if, if you're experiencing symptoms of a virus, don't pulse up elderberry. In fact, likely don't use that as a tool as your go-to. Exactly. Okay. So for those of us who do get the virus or have symptoms potentially of the virus, even if you know not able to test um, or, or not wanting to test to conserve resources for those who actually need the tests. Um, what should we do? Yeah. So I, I did put together the, um, again, coronavirus kit in last show notes. Um, you know, the biggest thing that we want to think of the, the symptoms of like fever and cough, right? So as far as fever, I would definitely recommend um, in that sense, going for the super turmeric um, and probiotics as your primary tools there. Many countries are speaking out against the use of NSAIDs um, because of the influence on, um, you know, inhibition of some of the inflammatory pathways and that hindering our body's immune system ability to battle the virus. So it's always a plus, you know, it's a dance. We don't want to upregulate the inflammatory process. We don't want to fully suppress it. And that's where turmeric could be multi-mechanistic and actually regulate the inflammation as well as support the antiviral influence. Um, and could regulate fever, uh, but will not completely mitigate. So it's not going to completely do away with the fever, but it could reduce the severity. And probiotics in that same sense. Um, you know, we talked so much in last episode about probiotics. I would go back and listen, but the beauty of probiotics is that they support both your innate and your acquired immunity. They support your acquired immunity using toll-like receptors in your epithelial lining of your gut. So really cool findings on probiotics. I can't harp on the importance of those daily enough. Um, and then for cough, this is where, this is where we'd go for more of the expectorant type stuff. Um, so this is where we could use ginger tea. This is where bone broth would be really fantastic. Remember bone broth has that gelatin, um, which is going to provide that oopy goopy delivery in the gut of L-glutamine, which supports the gut associated lymphatic tissue. We also see in bone broth, the benefit of N-acetylcysteine. And we know that that NAC um, can upregulate our white blood cell production and that cysteine can work as an expectorant and break up mucus and phlegm and support um, the lung function. So bone broth, really beautiful. Again, only further recommended from the new findings. And then on supplement support for cough, that's where I'd go for that cellular antiox. You know, glutathione, such a powerful tool made in the liver as the grandmama antioxidant. You're also getting that knack in there as the expectorant. Um, and then herbal immune would be a great tool still in that upper area supporting respiratory function. And uh, vitamin D has to be said as, as a definitely um, tool in the tool belt. But the other players that I had in my kit were basically um, all three types of probiotics. So there's rebuild spectrum probiotic and targeted strength probiotic. 
And the rebuild spectrum is a broad spectrum, multi-strain, whereas targeted is just the 50-50 blend of lacto and bifido. We talked about kids' biotic last episode and you know the research studies on uh, Journal of Pediatrics where the actual two strains used in our kids' biotic have been shown to reduce the duration and the intensity of fever, um, rhinorrhea, which is basically runny nose, um, as well as uh, sick days at school and cough. Um, so really powerful mechanisms there. Uh, we talked about vitamin D balance blend again, multi-defense as the multivitamin support, bio C plus, especially now with that hesperitin, um, the adaptogen boost, and then the grass-fed whey we talked about in last episode um, for those immunoglobulins as a foundational tool, and then the herbal immune and berberine boost as you know potential things you'd pulse in. But now with the findings on the berberine boost, having that active component in licorice and also having the um, skull cap in there, I'm thinking that that could be one played as a foundational tool, like two a day, and then you could always pulse that up with time of risk um, because berberine has, again, a multitude of beneficial outcomes. It regulates blood sugar. It supports your liver function. It aids in detoxification. So what's really cool is when you use these food as medicine interventions, you're supporting your body's regulatory function. You're optimizing multiple areas of expression in your body that will support the foundation of your system. Okay. Awesome. So really everything we said last episode, aside from the elderberry still stands, um, including the Zyclear um, nasal spray, yes. colloidal silver spray, et cetera, but I'll update in the show notes. Um, so it's super clear of, of what we still recommend. So let's shift. <laughs> Speaking of being cooped up and, and having your kids potentially at home um, into the stress and immune connection because I know we've been preaching mellow, you know, as best as, as we can and doubling down around here on Gabacom, Calm and Clear, Relax and Regulate, all of the stress supporting supplements. Uh, but let's break down just some of the mechanisms in which stress impairs the immune system. Yes. And a lot of this was covered initially in episode 77, where I shared this stress connection to autoimmune disease, a, a different approach. I was actually sharing an autoimmune flare that I had right at the time that I was about to, uh, I think I was on like my deadline for um, editing my book, The Anti-Anxiety Diet. So it was perfect timing <laughs> to share all of the things. And I think that maybe this is a uh, a really good time to revisit the influence of our immune system. So the connection really here is that when we're stressed, the immune system's ability to fight off um, and produce antigens and white blood cells are reduced. And so, you know, we are susceptible to infections and there's a couple different influencing factors. So one is that when the immune system is in a, a fight or flight mode, it suppresses white blood cell response and again, white blood cells have all of the mechanisms of the natural killer cells, our macrophages that we talked about in last week's episode and that innate immune function. So if we don't have that innate barrier function optimized, we're right away susceptible to something coming in and getting into our body. We're not defending on that initial contact, right? And that's extremely important. The next mechanism of stress is that cortisol, which is that primary fight or flight hormone, right? Cortisol has been shown to suppress immune function by lowering lymphocytes, which are a particular type of white blood cells. And then 
cortisol, as we've discussed in other episodes, is a corticosteroid, um, which is also a glucocorticoid. And this type of hormone itself increases blood sugar levels. And when blood sugar levels are elevated, that has a unique different mechanism of suppressing the immune function. And then there's this feedback mechanism of the body. So our HPA axis or our fight or flight regulation in our body is constantly focusing on the adrenal stimulation, right? So the hypothalamus and pituitary are stimulating the adrenals for survival, if you will. And that suppresses the parasympathetic regulatory function. So when we're driving in that sympathetic fight or flight mode, we're not getting optimal function of cellular regulation. We're not getting optimized immune surveillance function, which includes processes like autophagy, which we talk about the benefits of fasting and getting into that break from food intake because autophagy is best regulated when we're fasted and also while we're rested. So sleep plays a big role in this as well, which we'll get into in a moment. But stress really shuts down that parasympathetic regulatory place where a lot of the immune system is optimized. And then we can see nutritional influence. So for under chronic stress, we can be low in glutamine. Um, you know, we see this in the connection of even cattle going to slaughter, that glutamine can drive, we know in people, we can see muscle soreness, but that muscular atrophy can influence the immune function. And then glutamine itself directly, again, creates that impact on our GALT or our gut-associated lymphatic tissue. So if we are under high stress, we're depleting the glutamine, we can get both breakdown of muscle mass, but we can also get leaky gut. Um, and I've talked about that time and time again, how stress can influence that secretory IgA um, and also LPS, lipopolysaccharide, which can literally drill holes in our epithelial lining. Um, so we can actually see gut damage in relationship to emotional and mental stress. And again, guys, 70 to 80% of your immune system resides in your gut. So that's not going to work good when we want to stay armed and prepared to battle a virus like this. Totally. So, so many mechanisms by which stress can impair our immune function and you haven't even gotten to yet um, depletion of certain micronutrients. Yeah. I mean, so we can see course deficiency in B vitamins, which we burn through for neurotransmitter production, um, but vitamin C gets depleted with stress as does magnesium. Um, and so we can see a huge influence here. And then these can interfere with how our body metabolizes our day-to-day -day function. But then there's some direct, like with glutamine and vitamin C, direct viral and immune regulating properties, which are hindered if we're burning through these nutrients with stress. And the last thing I'll call out is just the sterility of the microbiome. So not only does stress drill holes in the gut, but stress also sterilizes our gut bacteria in an unfavorable way. We can see no growth of lacto and bifido strains. So these are, again, the two strains that are in my Restore Baseline probiotic and seen four times more potent in the Targeted Strength probiotic, um, as well as the two strains um, in the Kids Biotic. And these are the two strains that play a huge role on immune function, both innate and acquired or learned, as well as the two strains that play a role with reducing anxiety and supporting um, against depression. We've seen in studies 
probiotics being called nature's Prozac and been shown in a double blind placebo study to actually regulate and manage mood. Um, so again, it's this chicken and egg relationship where the stress depletes the microbiome. This makes us more susceptibility to virus and pathogen in general. And then this keeps us more stressed out because without the lactam bifido, we're not manufacturing serotonin and GABA. <laughs> and it's just kind of this total chicken and egg disaster. Okay. So what are some of the symptoms that we see with high chronic stress or um, really as we covered in episode what it was at 56, way, way back, um, on rebounding your body from trauma. What are some of the concerns of long-term stress? Well, one of the first kind of acute before we get into chronic would be GI distress. You know, we talk about like butterflies in our belly. Um, the enteric nervous system, which is the brain and the gut, is greatly piloted based on our bacteria status. So again, that mechanism of stress sterilizing the gut bacteria can create opportunity for other, you know, takeover by pathogens. So this could be something like candied albicans. This can be a gut bug that has nothing to do with COVID-19 <laughs> and that susceptibility can cause GI stress. And then there's even just a neurological connection where that enteric nervous system is responding to the excess epinephrine or adrenaline and its peristalsis either is greatly, um, exacerbated, meaning that there's a lot of pumping. So we're dealing with like diarrhea, loose stools, just like you might get like performance anxiety. And before, you know, speaking on stage, you might have a looser stool or something like that, or a big event. Um, and then we can see the other end of the spectrum where we can actually see constipation, where bowel motility gets almost paralyzed from the stress response. We can also see bloating. We can see in really severe stress and trauma, vomiting, because the, the whole immune system goes into this overdrive inflammatory response of not knowing what's wrong and it just starts to try to get rid of stuff. Um, we can see nausea and just like a generalized feeling of unease. And when you're experiencing that, like that rawness or just like that discomfort in the GI, that's definitely an indicator that GI lining support would be a very powerful tool. And you should double down on bone broth and reduce the roughage in your diet. So maybe hold off on raw vegetables during that time. Definitely pull out things that have anti-nutrients in them, like high lectins. So I'd pull out grains and beans completely and especially processed foods. Because during a time of high stress, we're more susceptible to having food sensitivity as well. And, and you know, it's definitely important for people to understand so that you don't come out of this when in two months, no one's talking about COVID-19, but now you're dealing with a, you know, puffy, distressed abdomen and you're dealing with five new food sensitivities. Totally. I think that's a great way to still use that GI lining, even though it doesn't have the, the licorice form that we were talking about. Oh, absolutely. I mean, there's definitely still a lot of benefit there and it protects yep. the epithelial lining, which is so huge to the, the immune system. Yes. Yes. And then, you know, just the, the immune system in general is going to go into hyper or hypo. It either goes into overdrive hypervigilant response or it goes into shutdown mode. And in this sense, we're really talking about not wanting to get in that shutdown because we want our army activated. Um, we can see physical pain from stress. Um, so people may be experiencing headaches, body aches, chronic pain throughout their body um, because of the inflammatory dysregulation of that fight or flight activity in the body. And then we can definitely see influence on our you know, heart rate. So we can see increased blood pressure. We can see shortness of breath. We can see you know, the more short rapid breath, which can then drive things like panic attack. 
We can see anxiety, depression, and insomnia as concern during this time. Uh, we can see like that pressure in the chest and pounding heart, cold sweats, a lump in the throat, um, dizziness. And then when epinephrine gets really high, um, which is adrenaline that's made by the adrenal glands. So our adrenal glands, again, make cortisol as well as dopamine, norepinephrine, and epinephrine. And if those neurotransmitters of the adrenals get thrown off and we have an imbalance of our norepinephrine and epinephrine relationship, it's like this like steam train on the track, but we don't have a release valve, if you will, <laughs> to release the steam. So it can be this feeling of, of really intense pressure, um, you know, and almost out of body. And um, this is where then we can be more prone towards hypervigilance with excessive dopamine, like double checking things, racing thoughts, difficulty concentrating. Tinnitus is often seen um, in this excessive epinephrine and dopamine state. And all of this can really drive, of course, then influence on the way that we engage with others in the household. <laughs> so, you know, if we're stressed and wired, then we're more bitey, irritable, and, and definitely can interfere as, as far as how we're managing as a unit. And that's the important part I, I think that I really want people to understand is you listeners, whether you are, you know, based on your age range and your household and whatnot, that we all as people, it, I think, can take responsibility for managing as best we can our own wild stallion of stress response to all of the information we're hearing out there, all of the, I believe, to be fair, fear-mongering, and I think some irresponsible reporting, um, and we can harness this, and we can contain our own energy response, because right now, there is a palpable level of anxiety. There is a, you can feel it, it's, I mean, I don't know about you, Becky, but every time you leave the house, you can feel this, like, doomsday vibration going on, and that is contagious, and that is immune modulating in a negative way, and that is disease causing, and that will have likely a chronic influence that is going to precipitate beyond the longevity of this viral strain. Totally, and, and the stress and perpetuation of, of anxiety doesn't, it's not supportive in any way, shape, or form. It's not going to help you be better prepared to be stressed out by this. So let's talk about kind of some ways that we can reduce stressors and, and just put in a little bit of positive environmental support right now for stress reduction. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it comes down to, to some simple tips, but hopefully I can give you some active tools and homework to work on. But as long as we can manage our sleep, our movement, our mindfulness, um, which could be incorporated with mantra or meditation and breath work, we should be able to kind of, I'm calling it this wild stallion, just like I do anxiety, right? You know, we should be able to really kind of harness this. And again, it's really important that those of you listeners are able to do this because you can transcend this sense of mellow grounding influence, which can greatly support your household in their ability to be safe during this time. So the first thing I would say is seven plus hours of sleep. Um, we've seen studies by the University of Washington um, where they looked at chronic sleep deprivation, suppressing the immune system. Um, and they actually looked at the inflammatory markers that activate immune cells. Um, and they saw that those who got poor quality or did not get seven hours of sleep had lower antibody response um, that, and they also were more likely to get virus. Yeah. And I think that's incredibly 
powerful um, that sleep alone can diminish your capacity to fight infection. Yeah. I mean, they even looked at mechanisms of like T cell responses. Um, so this is starting to look into that active um, immune system. And they were able to confirm that the beneficial effect of sleep on T cell um, activation was able to decrease activation of virus function. So there's direct mechanisms as well as, again, that parasympathetic immune regulating surveillance function that goes on while we are in that deep restful sleep. So this is a really good time to be proactive and working on your sleep hygiene. Um, you know, don't just Netflix and chill into the 3 a.m. time frame and <laughs> glaze over at your TV. Um, this would be a good time to pull out that blue light in the evening, get a good book, practice foam rolling and some stretching and some light movement to get your body into a released state. Um, this is also where sleep support, which has that dual influence of the melatonin, also those nervine herbs and that skull cap, um, which has that antiviral and ACE2 influence could be a really powerful player. And don't read the news in bad guys, please. <laughs> yeah, I made the mistake of doing that last night. It was no bueno. <laughs> uh, yeah, Byron and I have found ourselves kind of staying up and like ruminating on the things that we've read during the day. I'm like this is this is not good. So good time for relax and regulate. Yes. GABA calm CBD, I think as well. Absolutely. And, and all of those, um, especially, well, relax and regulate, um, since you mentioned it, Becky, really powerful mechanism direct on reducing that cortisol, which is important to note because remember just, just uh, a couple of moments ago, I talked about how cortisol can actually reduce our lymphocytes and cortisol can actually, you know, reduce our overall immune function and inter interfere with that blood sugar regulation. Well, magnesium bisglycinate, which is the form that's in relax and regulate can actually cross the blood brain barrier and block the pituitary, the P of the HPA axis from making ACTH, which is really the direct stimulator of the adrenals. So it kind of works as a bodyguard to block that stress response. So you can get that deep restful sleep. You can also block that cortisol. So you're going to get a better immune function while you sleep um, and less of that cortisol spill, which could drive the undesired weight gain that we talked about, you know, that, that we can often see following trauma. Totally. And then what about exercise and yeah. movement? Because I know a lot of like gyms and yoga studios are shutting down. I know I personally have been pretty hesitant to like go to the gym because I'm like, it's already a Petri dish. Uh, let's not perpetuate that. I'm going outside instead. Yeah. Well, and it's, there's two considerations with exercise. Absolutely going outside is best. Um, and when you're moving your body, you do definitely want to ensure that you're still aiming for, you know, 10,000 steps a day. Again, we want to maintain that muscle mass. Remember, that's one of the factors that makes the elderly more vulnerable is sarcopenia or muscle wasting. So just because you're home doesn't mean that you should not use your body. Um, you can lift weights at home. Um, doing resistance training is going to be the best bang for your buck, as would gentle movement therapy like stretching and yoga because that's going to support that parasympathetic state, as would just walking, just getting our feet on the pavement outside, or if you're able to walk barefoot in your lawn or in an and neighborhood park, you know, you could still practice social distancing while being outside very easily. Um, and you're not going to be within a, a, a spectrum of contagion with anyone. So that would be a really great way to get that vitamin D and get more of that parasympathetic hit when you actually are able to get 
outside. But we just continue to see, again, muscle mass improves the immune system. And this plays a role with our innate function, which helps with that barrier of defense. Um, we see that muscle mass plays a role with inflammation regulation in the body. Uh, really important to keep moving your body. And also that's going to help with your quality of life and your outlook. It's going to help with, you know, we've talked about the connection of endorphins and feel good influence on our brain. And, and that's really important during this time to maintain positive perspective. Totally. And it could be a great time to even take up something new from home, like, you know, doing online yoga classes or online Pilates classes or, or something like that. And I think for those of us stuck at home um, or working from home, you know, and, and not leaving the house very much, that can really help to create some routine and, and some normalcy too. Yeah. The big thing I would mention just to be um, on the exercise front in consideration of stress again is, is looking into this concept of allostatic load and just don't use exercise as an additional stressor. So, you know, this wouldn't be a time to pick up like a crazy zone boot camp from home or like P90X or something like that, maybe depending on your other stressors. Maybe if your workload has come down and you're working from home, that would, would make sense. That would create that balance. So you could do HIIT training, but if you're feeling mentally and emotionally stressed and you're not sleeping well, and you're dealing with a little bit of anxiety, better to do more of the mellow resistance training. Totally. Um, what about just kind of working with mantra and, um, mindfulness meditation, kind of that world of things? What do you suggest? Yeah. So, I mean, mantra is my favorite go-to in the mindfulness world. Meditation would be fantastic as well. You know, any of these practices that can help with alpha brainwave activity can help our body to get into that parasympathetic space is going to be optimized um, for our immune function and also mood stability, right? So really important things to do. I like mantra because the idea of mantra is you know, able to manifest something within your language. You can also use mantra in a way of replacing a fear-based uh, script that you have. So if your thought is like, oh my gosh, what's going to happen? Are we going to die? <laughs> you know, I mean, that's a really intense thought, but I mean, I think that's literally a thought in some people right now, like, oh my gosh, what's going to happen? What's going on? You can employ a mantra that is, I am well, I am safe, I am practicing peace. I am well, I am safe, I am practicing peace, or I am manifesting peace, or just I am peace. Um, you can use mantra with breath, like I inhale wellness, I exhale disease. Um, you can use other oppo oppositional words, like I inhale serenity, I exhale anxiety. Um, you know, I inhale safety and security. I exhale the unknown. Um, you can also use breath and mantra in a space of letting things pass through you, like, a, like you know, the, the ocean going back and forth as opposed to holding it. And even just using mantra in, an, in a strong way of, I will not allow anxiety to reside in my temple or something like that. If you're experiencing fear, I am not I am a beacon for hope. I will not allow fear to manifest in my being. Um, so you can just directly call out what you want to claim. And the more that you actually say it out loud, the more that you spend time really repeating this and making this a part of your subconscious, ideally, by doing it so much that you're working that muscle memory, that it becomes something passive, 
the more that the brain is going to be in that space versus all of the talking heads on the TV of pandemic, pandemic, death rate, death rate, you know, all we hear are statistics that are fear mongering, then the brain starts to function in that sympathetic space. Yeah. And you may want to turn off notifications on your phone and kind of block some of that stuff from coming in as well, or, or limit your amount of time, like set yourself a timer of five minutes that you're allowed to read the headlines and worry, and then, you know, kind of shut the door on that. Yeah. I think that that's absolutely appropriate to, to kind of defend yourself against what you're allowing to penetrate into your mental space. Uh, because a lot of the information right now is not directly helpful. It's not going to manifest any shift in what you do in your behavior in your household. So, you know, again, this is just quantitative information that's being thrown around, not a lot of qualitative. And the, the last thing I'll say on really harnessing beyond mindfulness and mantra is four, seven, eight breath. And I talk about this in the anti-anxiety diet. This is a huge tool I use in my clinical practice and with myself, actually. It's funny you mentioned, Becky. I did read <laughs> the news and um, I think it was Dr. Peter, uh, I can never say his last name right, Peter Atiyah. He has an A, a last name. Um, Atia. I think it's Peter Atia. Yeah. Atia. Yeah. Yep. And, you know, he's been really um, uh, getting some aggressive statistics going. And, and you know, this is a 10 times uh, death toll and, and XYZ. And um, Brady heard me last night breathing. He's like, What are you doing? I'm like, It's my 478 <laughs> breath. I'm fine. Um, and so, what 478 is, is inhaling through your nose for four holding for seven and whooshing out through your mouth for eight. And that has been shown in clinical research to actually work along the vagus nerve, which is the largest nerve of the body that goes from your uh, brainstem all the way down into the area of the colon. And that can actually shift the body from sympathetic into parasympathetic autonomic nervous system response with about three to five cycles of that. So that's truly, I'll do that with you guys once, we can all experience it. So it's inhaling through our nose, For four, holding for seven. And whooshing for eight. So it's like you're pressing the air out of a tire. And that's so important again, because the parasympathetic nervous system really engages multiple organ systems, including our cardiovascular and respiratory function, both very vital pathways that this virus is um, you know, influencing and, and the primary area of risk factor. We know, again, our immune and endocrine systems are also regulated in this parasympathetic space. And this is how our body best manages inflammation and immune response. Awesome. Um, what about just some final nutrients and food as medicine support for stress? <laughs> so we hit up, relax, and regulate with the magnesium. Um, I don't think we've talked about in today's episode really calm and clear and GABA calm. Um, do you want to share on one of those, Becky? And I'll do the other one there. I think those are just powerful tools we need to call out in the world of stress and how they work. Totally. So yeah, I would say GABA comes a good one right now because it has such a immediate onset. It takes about 15 minutes to feel, 10 to 15 minutes to feel the effect of one of our GABA calm shoes. And um, GABA is, this is a bioidentical form 
of GABA. So GABA is that inhibitory kind of wind down, shut it down neurotransmitter in the brain that can really help with if you are, you know, ruminating and getting into these kind of like panicked thought patterns or experiencing physiological symptoms of anxiety, or if you have to do something that might provoke anxiety right now, like you need to go to the grocery store, uh, that would actually be a great time or, or yes. do need to fly or something like that. Um, great time to take a GABACOM in kind of those acute demand moments of need. Or if you're finding you're ruminating at night, this is one that we often um, recommend like keeping you know, on the nightstand so you can yes. pop that if you wake up at 3 a.m. like thinking about ridiculous statistics that you saw in the news or something like that. Exactly. So yeah, gabocalm is something that you can kind of pulse in at times of distress and has anxiolytic you know, stress reducing properties. And then the calm and clear would be the kind of more macro focus for the foundation. It's going to incorporate B vitamins, which are going to play a big role with neurotransmitter regulation. Um, it has nervines and adaptogens. Many of these herbs actually themselves have immune supporting properties, but adaptogens help us to adapt to stress demand, whereas nervines are calming. In the calm and clear, we also have phosphatidylserine, which is going to inhibit that excessive cortisol, which also is an important mechanism here, and L-theanine, which aids in the alpha brainwaves, aiding in concentration, creative thought process, and focus without agitation and anxiety. Um, we could pair in the BioC plus again, you know, because vitamin C is huge for the adrenal glands. It plays a role in modulating cortisol, which is really important, but also the BioC plus has those bioflavonoids for the ACE2 influence, and then vitamin C as being an antiviral support. And the last one I would go into is adaptogen boost. I don't think we talked much about this in last week's episode. I want to just nerd out on the three active compounds in here. So it's cordyceps, rhodiola, and ginseng. And cordyceps is a fungus that has been used in TCM or traditional Chinese medicine for thousands of years. It has actually been used as a tonic to soothe the lungs. Um, it's been used in treatment for chronic fatigue as well as respiratory diseases. And it was used in China for severe acute respiratory syndrome or SARS. Um, so really important connection there. Rhodiola, um, another adaptogenic herb which supports healthy function of adrenal glands. It encourages a healthy response to emotional and mental um, wellness and it does have antiviral support. And then ginseng itself has also been shown to enhance resistance to illness, as well as microbial and pathogen attacks on the immune system. And it aids in maintaining immune homeostasis as well as energy boost. So this is one that we typically use for kind of stress-induced fatigue. It's with our stress, is it our stress manager bundle or it's in our um, adrenal rehab bundle? It's in both. It's the it's only one both, that's in both. Still. Yep. Yep. So this would be though another formula that would be stress managing, but also immune modulating in a favorable way. Totally. And if you're finding you're kind of like burned out by all of the stress or um, not sleeping as well and need a little energy boost during the day, it's a great support for that as well. Yes. And then I think we really hit a lot of food as medicine in last week and today's episode is getting pretty yes. long. So we <laughs> want more of the beef on the bone broth and the probiotics and the expectorant herbs and leafy greens for magnesium and the polyphenols in your tea. 
go back last week and listen to that. Um, but I think we've provided you guys a lot of resource. Um, you know, I'm so grateful for all of you as a part of our Naturally Nourished tribe and community. And we want to do what we can to help to support your process and, you know, really relieve, relieve any anxieties and unknowns that y'all have. Um, I'm going to jump on probably this evening also and do an Instagram live. Um, so I did get a lot of questions in my post today. We'll make sure we can cover as many as we can. And um, big picture, exhale. I won't even say breathe deep. I want you all to exhale. That's the release. And harness that wild stallion of your brain. Support your immune system with some of these foundational nutrients of support. Practice a low glycemic diet. Remember last week we talked about how ketosis can actually enhance immune function. So this is a good time to consider that. And um, just hug your loved ones and, and practice joy and gratitude during this time as best you can um, to really harness the mental stress connection because that's your greatest way to ensure that your body's immune system is optimized. Thank you for listening to the Naturally Nourished podcast. Visit our blog at AllieMillerRD.com for recipes, wellness tips, and food as medicine meal plans. Connect with Allie and Becky at AllieMillerRD on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Until next time, stay nourished and be well.